Verdugo back to the pen. He oh. caught it. He took it back. He's doing everything right now. Welcome to another edition of the TC and Company podcast. Tom Karen with you. Thanks for joining us. Red Sox in the middle of a nine-game road trip roared through Cleveland. Uh, a sweep of the Guardians. I call them the Indians on average four times a show over the weekend, but that wasn't that bad. Uh, take the over on how many times I'll do it next time they play as well. Uh, but that was a good tune-up, no doubt about that. Now the grind. Uh, Toronto, you get a little reprieve with the Cubs. And then it's 14 days where you get nothing but the Rays and Yankees. The All-Star break, Toronto again out of that. So it's 20 of 23 games against the Yankees, Rays, and Blue Jays, really the three teams you're competing for for playoff positioning uh, in the American League, in the American League East. Game one didn't go as planned, certainly. Connor Seabold got ripped. Uh, Three home runs from that potent Blue Jays lineup, a 7-2 win for the Jays, uh, a reminder that there's work to do for all the progress they've made. They still haven't had much success against the American League East. That's going to need to change if they want to get to the playoffs. This week on the show, we're going to talk about that with Ellis Burks and share some memories about his time in Boston, his his friendship and relationship with Jim Rice, what it's like to go to arbitration. Uh, Lots of good stuff from Ellis this week. And we're going to talk about rock and roll and baseball. It's the Hot Stove Cool Music event coming up Friday night in Chicago. If you're going out to see them, uh, the, the Cubs and Red Sox play at Wrigley Field. Uh, get on over uh, a star-studded lineup. Uh, you can learn more at ftbnl.org. That's foundation to be named later. Theo and Paul Epstein's charity uh, that benefits, and they've done great work. We'll talk about all that in a little bit. But as always, we lead off with Tyler Baronski. Tyler, how are you? I'd be doing better if Rafael Devers wasn't trailing Jose Ramirez in the All-Star voting. If Xander Bogarts wasn't third in the shortstop rankings, but if I take that out of the equation, I guess uh, coming in hot, bad. coming in hot with the trail, with, the, with the trending topics, uh, and I'm with you. I, Red Sox Nation, uh, if you're going to be uh, taken seriously, it's time to uh, get up and get to work. Now, first of all, let's not forget it's year two of this cockamamie phase one phase two phase so right. I, as i understand it and i'm probably wrong but as i understand it on thursday the top two overall vote getters go in that'll be judge and trout mm-hmm. and then the uh, so first two one from each league so oh, one from, see one i knew i'd get it wrong yeah. so it's just one so, so judge, be judge. Would, judge would be the judge again from the american league i don't care about the national yeah, league no, no. <laughs> uh and and so uh, and then they what? It's the top then, three. Then it's the top position? two from each top two, top two from each so position. So it's a head to head. Yes. Go at it. Outfielders wise, if Judge wasn't yeah. the top, it would be the top six. Right. But they since he's the one, it's the top two four. In each so. position. Yeah. Uh, so he'll have one as top four for the other two. Interesting. And that's just to, to, to pick that's the just starter. Though. Just the starters. Yeah. Though. So I mean, right now, Bogarts and Devers would be top two. So Bogarts so is only outside looking in right oh, now. He's third. He's, he's third. Tim ah, Anderson's second. They're very close though. So there's well, two. but Bo Bichette is first. Well, Bo that's Bichette's the first joke. Spot. Tim I mean, Anderson should be. It should be Anderson and Bogarts. Yeah, absolutely. It should be. Even though I know Anderson's missed a few games, but yeah. by far numbers wise, Anderson Bogarts should be. But right now, it, Bichette's got it by a big margin. So it's really we need Bogarts to push out Anderson to make it into right. this phase two round, which because he got a couple days to do. Blue Jays have an entire country voting for them. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Like, they shouldn't be allowed to vote outside of Ontario. The rest of Canada should not be allowed to vote. Is that they've, how, got, I, they've got Captain Alejandro Kirk, Kirk getting yeah, so many James votes. James T. Kirk is third overall in voting. And he's got the biggest um, margin Everything. of gab in oh, he's between also the, the biggest, next person. He's the biggest well, player yeah, in Major yeah. League Baseball. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, yeah, margin-wise, too, from any other yeah. – from his first place to second place, whoever the next – 
person isn't at the catcher position. Yeah. So it, it's insane. It's you know, insane. I, it's funny. I kind of don't mind that because he's actually having a great. He year. is. A oh, lot yeah. of times he's that deserving stuff, of an all star. Right. Yeah. A lot of times that stuff happens and it's you know lifetime achievement or whatever. Yeah. This, they're getting it right on him, but he's not third overall. Yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. Judge Trout, Kirk, Kirk, third. Like right. Devers should be third. Yes. Yeah, so. Or something like that. Uh, okay, so that's the voting. And again, uh, you can get on if you want to try to impact any of this. Uh, how many? You can vote like five times a day. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's I, an I impact. Mean, Kevin Euclid was saying yesterday on the broadcast he got snubbed once because right. he didn't feel like fans voted enough. For, right. uh, at a, I don't know. He felt like he should have started. So Freshman year in college, I ran for vice president of the class, and I lost by, I think, like eight votes. And not, I didn't vote. None of my friends voted. Like, we forgot it was election day. I'm kind of a, I'm not See, really. See, just like a, how you forgot to tell people to subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. You forgot back then to tell yeah. people to vote for you. And like, I tell uh, people now to subscribe, like right now. But if you're already <laughs> listening, you probably already know about that. So I should tell other people. You're right. See, it's the same idea. Uh, all right. What else you got? Uh, big brawl in Angel Land. Angels always somehow make into our show. Let's, I'm not trying to do it intentionally. I know they've made the rundown in my brief tenure as the co-host of the T-Sync Company podcast. But, uh, hey, man, if you do something content-worthy, you make the show. And That man, thing was insane. It was. 12 people got suspended in this one. Jesse Winker, um, once he got thrown at, that kind of started the brawl of everything. And then even the Angels had an opener. He was basically like a hitman. He threw at Julio Rodriguez. Then he hit Winker. And then that's when everything escalated from there. Um, but, this, to... but this was legit. Like, this is oh, what, yeah. uh, you know, love it or hate it, uh, let's not forget. I mean, somebody, I, I forget which player, one of them involved after said that, you know, this is 1978 or whatever he said. You know, it's, in other words, like, this stuff's not, it's still, it's I mean, like... this game is still, you know, this is still a physical game. It's not, you can't take the emotions and the intensity and the, the you know, the pain of getting drilled by a pitch. I mean, it, you just, we've evolved, but this stuff's going to happen. But I haven't seen a brawl. I mean, I remember the Coco Crisp, right? right. The, the Matrix. I mean, there are punches yep. flying. Johnny Gomes comes tearing mm-hmm. in. Uh, but, but there haven't been, you know, most of these are everybody gathers and stands around. This was haymaker speed. Yeah, I think the last one I could think of even more recently is like Amir Garrett and yeah, the Pittsburgh Pirates one. like a couple years ago. Because those were like Amir Garrett went like one on 13 when he like headed towards the Pirates' dugout. Went to Bridgeton Academy in, in Maine. Oh, did he? Prep school. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Post grad year. So, fun, fun fact. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, Phil Nevin. Who was the, uh, wait, who was the one, uh, 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 the Rangers, uh, who came in at second base and oh, Odor. absolutely threw, Odor. Odor yeah, absolutely threw yeah, a yeah. haymaker. On Iconic photo. Yeah, the, they got something out of that one, but yeah. uh, it was just crazy. Yeah. Um, afterwards, Phil Nevin suspended 10 games. Winker suspended seven games. The interpreter got suspended a game. I love that. Maybe a hot dog vendor got suspended. I don't know. So I did, and there was a lot of talk about how guys, you know, there were guys in the dugout who were injured, and they're they're not yeah. on the active <laughs> roster. You can't come running. You're supposed to just sit there and watch them fight. Yeah, like seriously. you can't. That's what Yuke was saying we're yesterday on the too. Injured list. That's what Yuke said yesterday. Him and Pedroia, like a long right. time ago. They, yeah. I guess you're not supposed to. Once you step out the dugout, you're automatically like right. suspended. But yeah, That's so Rendon, he suspended five games whenever he returns from the injured right. list. And who's and the he, one? And he can't sit on the bench for the next seven games, which, uh, right. that, which is really bad. funny. Yeah. Who uh, and and who's beating the hell out of coolers and stuff? Somebody went off at the end of the fight, throwing coolers on the field and uh, punching I can't water. There's there. too many people. I inanimate did, objects. Don't fight inanimate objects. This is a random one, but you see like Rice all Iglesias like take a tray of sunflower yeah, season that's throw it off. Oh, okay. That's and then what you're he went about. back to dugout and was like punching the I didn't get that. that made, yeah. Made me think of Ortiz beating the hell out of the phone. Yeah. Baltimore. Exactly. And then remember the ball, when he retired, Baltimore gave him the phone. Yeah, they did. They happy. did. He was like, this is not an appropriate <laughs> retirement. <laughs> All right. Anything else? What was uh, last thing. Uh, Mark Capel, do you remember that name? 
2013 I first. Oh, <laughs> I didn't when you you sent it to me, and I totally didn't remember him. Well, first overall pick in yeah. 2013. I'm here to remind you Thank who you. he was. He was a very big prospect. He was the number sure. one overall pick, overall pick but uh, kind of widely regarded as one of the biggest busts in major league uh, history. Didn't make the big leagues for a while, nine years, and then finally got the call up this past week. Um, I actually stepped away from baseball for about two and a half years, and. Has really talked a lot about his mental health journey, having that much pressure and expectations at an early age, not living up to them, and then stepping away from baseball at a, to- at a point. And it's funny because like a couple of days ago, he made like this little Twitter thread about how he just has a new appreciation, even if he never made the big league, if, even if he wasn't going to make the big leagues, he was just going to enjoy every moment on the field. And funny enough, two days later, he gets called up the big leagues. I don't know. That's it's how really life works cool. sometimes. It, it is really cool that I think baseball has done a better job of of understanding mental health and challenges. You know, Brian Johnson was a guy here who pitched for the Red Sox mm-hmm. who who went to the team, and, and I've talked about that, and he said, you know, I totally expected them to, like, be tough up, man. You know, mm-hmm. get up there, strap it on, and, and go battle. And they totally su- supported him, and he wound up being a really good pitcher for them in that championship season. He was a really important reliever and spot starter, and he never would have gotten there if the Red Sox didn't support uh, his mental health. So I think, you know, for all the old school, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, complaints we get about the game of baseball, I think front offices get that now. Yeah, I feel like they're like, all teams are like hiring like a, almost like a mental health specialist. Sure. Yeah. I wasn't Daniel Bard before. Yeah, trained. that's what he yeah, was that's doing. literally what he was doing yeah. for the Diamondbacks before yeah. he decided to come back to baseball. Bob so. Tewksbury uh, did it for the Red Sox, and and he was a former Ness analyst. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if, if that working sure. with me will will help you realize <laughs> if you have mental health problems. No, that's not. That's just a joke. It's yeah. not. Uh, Bob Tewksbury's fine. Uh, and last but not least, I'll bring in. We got to bring in the Yankees. Got no hit. Oh yeah. Great moment. But then but they, they, but then the they other, bounced back. Then they bounced back. Then they were getting no hit into the seventh inning the next day. And yeah. then three home runs and <laughs> yeah. they won. And then they came back they uh, quick, from yeah. 5-1 against well, we the enjoyed A's. it while it lasted. You know, for all the talk of the, uh, the Red Sox going from 10-19 and 19 to 11 games above 500, which is remarkable, mm-hmm. right? Nine games under 500 to 11 games above 500 that quick. In that stretch, they lost a half game to the Yankees, which is crazy. <sighs> Through is all crazy, of that, yes. the Yankees had a half game better record. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, it's about the wild card. Beat Toronto and get after it. Good job this week. Thanks, DC. Appreciate it. Always fun. Uh, Tyler Bronski with us. We are now going to hear from Ellis Burks uh, joining us uh, last year. Joined the Nesson team this year. More studio time, uh, which I I think he's really good at. Uh, Does a nice job. Uh, He's worked in front offices for for Cleveland and San Francisco, so he can bring that expertise. He did a little scouting and obviously played uh, for 18 years at the major league level. Plus, he's the only guy who has a wardrobe that even comes close to Jim Rice, so he can uh, show that on TV every night. But uh, just a little chat uh, with Ellis as we catch up and uh, talk about what it's like to reconnect with Red Sox fans. All right, all this week, Ellis Burks has been with me in studio, uh, becoming uh, quite a sensation, getting stopped on the street, people excited to have you. How cool has it been, in all honesty, to sort of reconnect with yeah. Red Sox fans and Red Sox Nation? Really cool. I mean, uh, started last year, of course, when I was doing the broadcasting, and uh, again this year, being in uh, pre and post, I'm loving it. I mean, it's something that I've always come back to Boston, but after a period of time, you know, you don't get recognized as much, which is cool. You know, but since I've come back, it's like, okay, I have to kind of watch where I go because people are like, hey, you know, Ellis, what's going on? So it's cool, though. I, I feel that you played in kind of the between era. I almost call mm. it the between era of the Red Sox. You know, there was kind of like 75 to 86 was sort of one run. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. then there was the, the kind of 
uh, we call it late nineties. Yeah. We didn't have the success. No, but but you had Morgan Magic. I mean, you had sure. you know what I mean. You had some runs there, but but though I think because of that, people kind of forget about it. But when they see you, it, it's a really like, oh yeah, yeah. I, you know, Ellis Burks, man, <laughs> you know, or or Mike Greenwell. Sure. You know what I mean? There's certain players that you just don't see as much, and when you come back, fans get really excited. You know what it was? I thought like when I left Boston, I had a lot more success as when I left, but sure. then. When I look back on it, people say, no, you, you really had a nice career here as well, which I did. I was so much younger. You know, I was 22 years old when I got called up and, uh, and I retired at 40. That's a long career. Yeah, thank you. That's, it's hard. I mean, durability is such an important part of that. How were you able to not only stay healthy, but stay successful? Well, I didn't really stay healthy. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I missed over 500-plus yeah. games of career. But, but you came back from everything. I came back from everything. It was, you know, it was a blessing to come back, be able to come back healthy, strong. But, uh, you know, I tell you what, I was always the kind of guy, I love grinding it out. You know, you can put me out there on the field. I could be hurt. I'm always going to play. You know, if I can get out there and play, I'm going to play. You ever think you'd be a broadcaster? Was there a time when you were playing or, or right after retiring? When did, when did that first sort of come to you? No. I never thought that that was the farthest thing from my mind. Um, they called me up, uh, I think it was 2020, but, you know, the pandemic changed everything. So um, last year was my first year. I mean, I thought I did terrible. I mean, that was the worst feeling to have, to be on air, and all of a sudden you hear crickets, you know, because I was so quiet. I, w I wasn't used to just make comments on every play, every situation, and now I'm starting to get a little more comfortable with it. As far as being pre and post, I think that's my niche, like that, a lot better. But, you know, if you're get a given situation, I, I never thought it would happen, no. Well, it's, it is funny, isn't it? Like, if you go back and talk to players from the mid to late 70s, they would have laughed if you said Jim Rice would be a TV commentator. Yeah. Right? I'm I mean, one a of A guy them. who didn't really like the media. Yeah, yeah. Right? Back in the day. He gets mad, by the way. I don't Tell him. I know you guys are really close. Sure. Tell him someday that he's a member of the media. He, he gets really mad. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm a former player. That I do TV. But you know what? I, I know exactly what you're talking about because, you know, Jimmy was one of the guys that I really wanted to emulate. Sure. Growing up, when I made it to the big leagues, I wanted to be like him. You know, he was such a professional, you know, that stern guy. So all of a sudden, I would see him the way he talked to people and, you know, reacted in certain situations, you know, and I was intrigued. So I wanted to be like him and I, I somehow made my career sort of like, mm -hmm. you know, that just goes to show how much I like Jim Rice. So, <laughs> but uh, it, it was fun. He, he pretty much taught me a lot about the game and I, I appreciate it. The media and fans through the media, I think when he played, kind of had the wrong image of who he was, yeah. right? Because yeah. he didn't really care about the media. He didn't. I've yeah. talked to him about this, right? He, that wasn't part of his job. His yeah. job was to win games. Soft-spoken. And, and if you go back, Freddie Lindo, two things Freddie told me over the years. One is when the team lost, Jim was always front and center. Mm -hmm. he, he knew somebody had to talk. He was there to talk. Didn't really want to. Sure. But he knew he was taking it off his teammates' uh, uh, plate by doing that. And the other thing Freddie said, which I thought was interesting, he said, you know, now, when you see Jim laughing and being loose on TV, he saw in the clubhouse yeah. that the fans didn't get to see what That's he was true. playing. I mean, it, it, took, it took some time for him to loosen up. You know, there was so much pressure on Jimmy for a number of years. And I think after the induction of the Hall of Fame, things just kind of off his shoulders. Lacked. 
and you know he's totally different now, but which is great. You guys get to see what I've seen for years. Right. Yeah. You know why he's in TV? Because he's got the greatest wardrobe in New England. Oh, you got to wear it somewhere. Come on now, you got to wear I've it somewhere. It. I've seen it, right? Yeah, you know, I, I told you the story about him telling me to come to my room. So I tell you, this is what happened. When I got called up, you know, I have jeans, t-shirt, maybe a, my my best shirt was like a polo. Okay, so he says, "Hey, you know, you're in the big. We're in New York." He says, "Hey, you're in the big leagues now. Elvis. You're gonna have to dress like the big. I need to wear slacks and a dress shirt." He said, "Hey, Jimmy, I, my first week in the big leagues. I don't have that money yet." Come to my room tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. Don't be late. I was there at 9.59. All right? We go out, Saks Fifth Avenue. He bought me like five, six suits. Slacks, shirts, shoes. I came to the park the next day with the biggest smile on my face. Come on now. And you carry that with you. My wife said yeah. the other day, my wife, a couple of days ago, you wore a suit on the air. And my wife said, I could tell Jim Rice was his mentor because he dressing like Jim yeah. Rice to this day. I mean, you have to be sharp if you're going to be on any sort of TV show or anything. I mean, I just, everywhere I go, I like to dress nice. I think one of the hardest things for former players now, and, and as you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of them in studio over the years, <clears throat> the easiest trap to fall into is to go back to the, well, in my day, right? Mm -hmm. Where we did it this way. That's right. fine. But the game changes. The sure. game evolves. You played long enough that you saw the game evolve yep. while you were playing. So I think it's hard. Listen, I mean, Jim played 163 games in 1978, mm. right? That's never going to happen again. Right. First of all, they don't play 163. It's going to be a tiebreaker. <laughs> but anyway, they, you know, guys need days off. They're just brought up differently. There's sure. not going to be 300 inning pitchers anymore. There's not going to be four-man rotations. So Cal Ripken's record is safe. I think it's safe. I, th <laughs> I think the next 20 guys on that list are safe to stay where they are. But you know what I mean? It's easy to fall into and say, well, when we did it, you can't do that. You got yeah. and, and you know that because, I mean, you've scouted. You've been in front offices. So sure. I, I think that's what makes you really good is you see the game both as a former player who had good success on the field but also as a guy who understands what a team goes through, how sure. to put together a team. And I think that gives you different insight. But when you watch today's game, are there times where you say, oh, man, I mean, yeah. we, you know, when a guy says he needs a day off after four days, whatever, are there just times where you have to sort of make sure you don't fall into that trap? Yeah, sometimes you have to pump the brakes and back. It, is, it has changed over the years. You know, you're not the kind of guy, you're not going to go you know, gung-ho every day. You know. Guys now, like when I played, if I hit a, hit a ground ball, I was sprinting just in case I threw it, you know, a high, I could beat it out. Today's players, ground ball, uh, okay, here we go. You know, I've even heard, and some managers will say, listen, we got, you know, playing 14 in a row. Don't, you don't have to bust everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I get a, that. That would never happen. No manager no, would ever say that. No, no, I mean, let me tell you a quick little story of what happened to me in college. I was just top prospect coming out of high school, go to this one college, and I hit a sharp ground ball to the shortstop, and I just pulled up and just jogged down there. I knew the guy had me, right? But he made a bad throw. Picked it. He went two steps over, picked it up, ran back, touched the base. I still wasn't there. The, man, the coach came over to me and says, hey, Berkey, uh, how's your legs? You all right? I said, oh, yes, sir, I'm fine. Your back's okay? I said, yes, sir. Well, by golly, let me tell you something. You don't hustle on my team, son. You won't be on my team. That was the last time anyone had ever had to say that. Wow. Well, see, but that's what it takes. And I, yeah. I think most guys today still do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's just a different game. It is a different sure. game. The numbers, the metrics, you understand all that from the front office. It still doesn't take away what – and I think one mistake we fall into in the media 
is we're always talking about what's wrong with this game, how it needs to be fixed. We don't spend enough time talking about what's great about this yeah. game. These, these athletes, one thing, say what they will, and they get days off and whatever. But there's, they, these athletes are stronger and more well-conditioned, and, and the pitching yes. is better. It's at a, the game is played at a level right now that's probably the highest skill level we've ever seen in baseball. Now, let me tell you this. There's no rest in baseball. Once the season's over with, you may spend two, three weeks of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Family vacation. Now, after that, the off-season training. You, you, you hired you a trainer. You hired a, a, a dietitian. I mean, anyone, they're going to feed you the right foods. You're going to be working out from this time to this time daily. I mean, it's a, it's a job, year-round job. And that's exactly how they pursue it now. When you were in front offices mm-hmm. and when you did some scouting, did you ever roll your eyes on the on the numbers and the metrics, or is it something that you sort of understood? Here's the information. This is how it can help. You know what I rolled my eyes on because the first year I was with Cleveland Indians at the time. You can say it. They yes. were the Indians then. You know, Mark Shapiro hired me as a special assistant. I go in all the meetings, the off season meetings, and I was shocked at the way that they went at each player. All the negative things, nothing positive. All the negative things, and I was like, wow, this is what goes on. It's closed-door meetings in the front office and this and that. But, you know, that's a part. They have to really see that part of a person because you can't always think about positive things that he did. It comes to contract negotiations, arbitration. You're going to have to listen to all the little things that you didn't do and all that. And, and that was tough to sit there and watch and hear. Because you'd always been on the other side of it. You yeah, were the player. I just left that right. side. Theo Epstein said that the toughest thing he had to learn was the exact which thing, not to fall in love with the player. Yeah. He said, because I was, you know, early on, I mean, especially Theo, right? They win the World mm-hmm. Series. You're like, I love all these guys. Right, well, you, right. can't, you can't love them all, yeah. right? You got to make tough decisions. Did you ever go to arbitration? I did. What was that like? Uh, it's not fun, right? Well, I mean, they're in there telling you why you shouldn't get that money. Yeah, I think, but the thing about it, we were going to arbitration and we settled the day before okay. I got it. So that was that was. So you got up to it. But so I didn't fun. get to hear all the negative. You didn't go in the room and have them yeah. show you why you're not as good as you thought you were. You know, the most disappointing thing for me, as a Red Sox, day Lou Gorman called me in the office, told me I wasn't gonna extend the contract. You know, they didn't they didn't give me a contract because I had gotten injured, only played like seventy games or something like that. Had the back. As I'm rehabbing my back, I get the phone call and you're like, that's it, you know, we're going to move on from here, da 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 da. And I was crushed. Sure. I mean, the Red Sox, I came up in the organization as a minor leaguer. That was my favorite team. Jim Rice was my favorite player in high school. And, you know, I was, I was just really disappointed and I just vowed, okay, let me just concentrate on preparing myself mentally as well as physically. That's when I really started elevating my game. That became fuel. Yes. Yeah. It's a great lesson, right? I mean, yeah, we talked yeah. about that. Uh, yeah. We were talking about it with Ryan Brazier, the pitcher, the other day. Sure. You get sent down. And oh. he's, you know, he's been a champ, a world yeah. champion. Yeah. A, a big part of that world championship. All of a sudden, you're back in Worcester. There's sure. two ways to go, right? You oh, either, you can go either the they're way. right and you're done, yep. or you're going to prove them wrong. Oh, yeah. And that, if you're a competitor, you're going to prove them wrong. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. We'll do it again. All right. Thanks. All right. Uh, when, well, last question. This is an important one. All right. You're golfing this week, I know. Did you bring your stuff, or do you have to hit up rice again for everything? You had to bring that up, didn't you? Well, Come on, tell us. Yeah, I'm barring gyms again. <laughs> everything? No, no, no. 
You brought, brought clothes. I brought clothes you brought this clothes. time. I brought my shoes. So if you didn't catch it the first time ever, you like the first time you come in, you're like, hey, you know, I didn't realize I got a day off. Let's go play some golf. And Jim's got what? He's Jim. got like ten sets of golf clubs. Ten more? He's got, yeah, he's, he's like, got like twenty five. Well, that, that's just here. He's got more in South Carolina. Sure. He's got clubs everywhere. And and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll hook you up. He They're gave like, me the shoes. But then you needed the pants and the pants, shoes and the shirt, hat, golf but, clubs. But he gave you brand new shoes because yeah. he just he had said, them laying them. around. Keep them. Keep them. I don't want your shoes after you worn them. They didn't have 14 on the heel. That's no. why. Who's no. have the 14 in place? Yeah, they were the cool ones with the little. Oh, those are sweet. Oh, yeah. All right, hit them straight. Uh, but we got to go to work, so I'll let you go. All right. Thanks, Ellis. Thank Ellis Burks, the great Ellis Burks, with me in studio and with me here on the TC and Company podcast. All right, uh, great stories from Ellis Burks. And, and that's a true story. He literally had to borrow everything from Jim Rice to play round of golf uh, that first time he was here in Boston, from the clubs to the balls to the tees to the clothes, to the shoes, the hat, everything. And uh, Jim will never let him hear the end of that. Meantime, uh, this road trip after Toronto, it's three in Chicago against the Cubs. A weekend at Wrigley Field going to be a lot of fun with the uh, Red Sox nation descending on uh, Cubs universe. Uh, and in the middle of it all is the Midwestern edition of the Hot Stove Cool Music event, the great uh, event every year. That benefits the foundation to be named later, started by Theo Epstein, his brother Paul. Uh, Paul Epstein still here doing so much great work in the community. And the base uh, is a, a, an amazing place in Roxbury where young kids uh, take their love of baseball and, and learn uh, to integrate academics into their daily uh, schedule and really get after uh, improving their grades and thinking about college and all of that. Uh, the Peter Gammons reading room is part of uh, what you'll find over at the base, all of that funded and along with the Peter Gammon scholars, uh, scholarships given to some of those kids to go to, uh, to go to college. All of that money coming from the foundation to be named later and the Hot Stove Cool Music event at the Paradise in February every winter here in Boston and now out in Chicago in the summer uh, is the big fundraiser. Uh, it's going to be Friday. Will Daly is a uh, local rock star musician. Uh, you've heard his music. You may not know the name, but you know the music. Uh, he is so much fun and been a huge part of putting this together and keeping the music going on stage uh, every year. Lenny DiNardo, our own uh, Nesson analyst, uh, 2004 World Series champion, and a good little guitarist himself uh, gets up on stage in the hot stove. So the two of them drop by to talk about this year's event and uh, some of their memories on the TC and Company podcast. So the Hot Stove Cool Music is this weekend in Chicago, Friday night. A lot of Red Sox fans going to be there along with Cub fans and uh, two guys who have been such a big part of it are with me now to talk about that. Our own Lenny DiNardo and Will Daly joining us. And, and I'll start with you, Will, because I've always said athletes always want to be rock stars rock stars always want to be athletes and i just love when those two worlds collide and that's what makes this event so cool right but it's more insulting for the rock stars because we can't finish up our rock star career and then go play major league baseball you know so it's a little bit sour for us to be on stage with lenny and bernie and everything like that but we accept it and and we move on that's yeah, bernie true williams goes and wins but, but Bernie Williams goes and wins Grammys after, you know, and, and you know, Lenny, I mean, you're on your way, you play guitar, you know, there could come a day, but Will, you probably won't win the Cy Young Award anytime soon, right? I mean, that's safe. Prob not in this lifetime, no. <laughs> Lenny, how cool is it? You've been a part of this for a long time, going back to uh, 04 when you first became part of this stuff. Uh, you've known what the music world is in Boston. When you're the 
Let's start with the dropkick. Murphy's back in 04. Uh, how cool has it been to watch this whole thing grow? It's great. I mean, it's outstanding. I, I love being a part of it for, I mean, my first one was back in January of 2005. And uh, I'd only been playing guitar for maybe a couple of years at the time. I, I started kind of just messing around with it in the minor leagues. And when I got to the Red Sox, I found Bronson Arroyo, who's also kind of you know, playing guitar. He's a little bit more advanced than me. So we kind of become became kindred spirits at that point. We took our guitars on the road and and uh, and I got invited to play this thing. And I was way over my skis because I knew three chords and I wasn't a singer and I was scared to death on stage. But again, just to be invited to go up there, I wasn't going to say no. So I kind of just made sure they turned my amp down and uh, and just kind of kind of faked it as, as much as possible. But uh, it's always a blast. They do amazing work for the community, raising money for for, for folks in need. And uh, again, it's one of the, my most proudest uh, achievements is being able to be a part of this on, a, on an annual basis. Will, true or false, Theo Epstein's guitar has been either unplugged or turned completely down at various points of this event. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> we had Theo on, I had Theo on earlier when the Boston event was coming up and we were talking about that. And, and Theo was like, well, you know, I mean, they said that, but there's no way they really had me all the way down. So we'll let that be the comment that, uh, that stands on this. He took it to Chicago, obviously. And, I think and, he's and, walked and, out a couple of times and forgot to plug it in. <laughs> that's okay well that's okay. i've got a funny that's... story about that he no. actually borrowed a buddy of mine's uh or a guitar ed velasquez who's been in the involved with hot for a long time he's a bass player he got this new guitar and he was really proud of it and he let theo borrow it this past boston hot stove and theo went down on the cord hard with his right hand ended up slicing his hand open ed had the guitar afterwards he's like look at my guitar there's blood all over it i mean you can't get more rock and roll than that though because it's just just he, he sliced it pretty bad and ed's brand new i think it was a thunderbird firebird something something really nice i played it the night before just covered in blood I mean, it was like, so whether he's plugged in or not, he was strumming extremely hard. He was into it. He had the rock and roll vibes going. So Theo has literally given his blood for this event. There you go. That's the, uh, that's the motto for this year. It, it goes out to Chicago. What's it been like? Well, you've been uh, part of that. And, and I love the fact that he kept it going here, Paul and, and Elise and everybody has kept the uh, home fires burning, but you, you grow this whole other and there's a whole different scene, right? I mean, the, the guy, the Chicago world has come to support this. What's that like compared to the Boston scene? It's it's like having, you know, two families. I'm a kid with two families from divorce. And you just have these two, these two packs of wild, marvelous, talented people uh, in each city. And, you know, it's been so long since we played in Chicago now. It used to be an annual thing. And this will be, two, you know, first time in two years. So it'll be like returning home and um getting to play with everyone again and to the point where i go on tour now and i think usually my tours i usually use my boston drummer if i'm on the east coast and now i use gerald dowd who's the drummer from chicago if i'm in the midwest and i use tom polche who plays drums often on both hot stoves if i'm in la on the west coast and that's really all comes from hot stove so it's a beautiful thing 
What, what, give me each of your uh, favorite moments other than Theo bleeding all over a brand new guitar. Give me a, give me a couple of great behind the scene moments. I, I, you know, I will say when, when I've been there a few years now as MC with Michael Malley over the years, you and, and others. And the one time I got to go out <clears throat> and sing uh, Highway to Hell with the, the mashup of everybody out there. And Chuck Nolan, the great uh, ZLX uh, uh, DJ, who's a friend of mine, tweeted out that I had the rock and roll stage presence of Boris Yeltsin, uh, which I didn't, you know, really think that was a great thing, but whatever. Uh, but, but so, uh, but I mean, you get stiffs like me thrown into this and that's the, the, the beauty of it, right? The mashups, everybody goes out there and it all comes together. Give me a couple of great moments. Uh, Lenny, you start. Well, I tell you, I had, to, I had the opportunity to play with Evan Dando from the Lemonheads, who was a rock and roll hero of mine ever since I was 12 years old. I had the It's a Shame About Ray album. I played with Juliana Hatfield, Johnny Resnick, this past one. But playing with Eddie Vedder back in 2017 was an absolute pinnacle. You just can't get better. Uh, it, it, an absolute icon of rock and roll. It was like rock and roll fantasy camp for me. And just uh, the individual himself, music aside, very, very generous human being, what he does. Uh, he doesn't have to go out there and do that. He's, he's the pinnacle of rock stardom. So for him to come over there and play, I think he played 16 or 17 songs. I played one with him and Bill Janovitz, another rock and roll hero of mine. It was just an amazing experience. I'm never going to be able to top that, I'm convinced. Will, how about that you? Is kind of, that is, that is. I mean, aside from seeing the twinkle in your eye when you came out to sing, TC, that was a big moment. Um, and just knowing that you had that second, but uh, it it is it is it is the community, and it is like that moment with with Vetter because, um, he he is my like uh, spirit animal in the music world, and. To, all right, so then you're on stage with him, and that's amazing. But really, the graciousness that he show, showed to the whole organization and to every other musician that was has been involved the whole time, he gave everyone space. And I, I was at the Pearl Jam Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm just at the Pearl Jam after party, which just felt like a coup in my life to begin with, right? And he walks in from his whole, own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, comes right up to me, says, Will, thanks for coming. I was like, well, of course, I would. I mean, I'm coming to the Pearl Jam induction. He goes, listen, um, we're playing at the hot stove in a couple of weeks. Can we do one of your songs in my set? And I and I almost fell over. But it, it's a testament to it's an example of what kind of person he is. He just got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he was thinking of someone else. Um, and I think everybody felt that and everybody felt that in the room in Boston that night with the capacity of the paradise at i think the capacity there is 900 and there's about 1100 people in that room that night and i think the fire marshal's just like ah it's that better what are you going to do and you know what he was that whole weekend right that, that was i remember um socks had a day game and the, the the show was that night and he was at the game and i i went over to and he didn't want to do you know i wanted to get him as like the guy in the seats right a fan of the game will be any better that'd be pretty cool yeah. you know and he yeah. was like nah you know he wasn't he didn't want it that's fine but and i was like prepared for the no you know you do a lot of that and what i do you go up to people you ask they say no that's perfectly cool he said no but then like they had me sit down next to him and we talked baseball for an inning you know what i mean he just <laughs> he kind of did it's almost i like got the vibe like he almost didn't want to upstage the event like he didn't want to do it because he didn't want it to be about him like it's you. not about him you know what i mean but that's I think the beauty of what you guys have created that whether it's 
me or Eddie Vedder, right? We all sort of step in as a piece of this because it has become bigger than any one person, bigger than any one act. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just become an organic thing. And, and it's also really beautiful because we're helping sports charities and music charities at the same time. Two things that if these, these aspects of growth for young people and for every person in the country are strong, we have a stronger culture. Uh, we know this through all scientific evidence, and we're still struggling to make sure that they're funded, but it's really beautiful to tie them together in this one event because they're both essential. Um, and that's what I love about it too. Yeah, I love that. Because I have, as Lenny knows, I have two kids, one's a guitar player, one's an athlete. You know, so right. it, it brings it all together. It's absolutely perfect. And, and you know, we, we can't uh, do this without mentioning Peter Gammons, uh, who's my spirit animal. And, uh, you know, the guy who, uh, you know, I got into this from reading his columns, right, in, in the Boston Globe back in the day, the Sunday column. Uh, and, and, you know, you go over to the base, uh, the program where they, they get kids to think about college and life and what they can do to, to make their life better. And they do it in the Peter Gammons reading, reading room. Uh, Lenny, you know the man. Uh, he is uh, unlike anyone else on the face of this earth, not just anyone else in baseball. Yeah, I mean, he can talk baseball with the best of them, but if you get him rolling on music, he's going to pull out some nuggets that you would not believe. He, I mean, he'll he'll pick a set list and he makes sure that he picks the deepest cuts possible. He's got the Chuck Berry influence. He's got pipes. Uh, I mean, my first hot stove, like I said, was 2005. And I think maybe two or three days before that, we went on a show called Cold Pizza on ESPN. It was me, Peter, and Bronson. And uh, I didn't know at the time how good of a guitar player and that he could sing. I just thought I was going to go on with Peter Gammons, talk a little baseball, talk a little music. And we ended up playing a, a Bronson Sprint, had a song that he wrote. So we ended up playing that. And Peter just went off on this, this lead riff right before he started playing. Amazing guitar player, amazing singer. Uh, I mean, and again, talk about a, a, a person that's just about giving, right? Peter Gammons is that individual right there. He's all about giving uh, his time and effort to the, the cause of raising money for this organization. So kudos to him for being involved for, uh, for the, these number of years. And uh, I tell you what, you can't speak enough about the man. I'll tell you, when, when he was with us for a few years as an analyst at Nesson, there's two different times I walked in a conference room and, and he, you know, he had the, the earbud and talking and you, you never knew it was, it used to be like spin the wheel. Who's Peter talking to, you know, and uh, there were consecutive days where one day it was Billy Bean from the Oakland A's breaking news on a trade that he was going to do. The next day, it was the guys from Little Feet asking if Peter wanted to jam with them while they were in town. And I was like, if that's not Peter Gammons, that, that, that's <laughs> the two lives of Peter Gammons. Uh, and he's deserved everything. All right, we wrap it up. Will, you're getting out there uh, uh, soon. Uh, give you know, I, do you, you got to do something here for Red Sox fans who go to the event. You got to give me like the the Carol Burnett ear tug. You got to do something that's going to be just for Red Sox fans that Cubs fans won't get. So can you can you tell us something you'll say or do on stage that is a uniquely Boston thing or a song that's going to come on? Give us something from Boston here. I, can't I, be, could, I could do this for my friend Kevin Euclid. Like as I'm setting up. Usually, like an MC's on stage, auctioning off some stuff, and we're setting up in the background. I'm getting my guitar in tune. I could hold my guitar up and just kind of, you know, keep my eyes up this 
wiggle my butt a little bit and then bring my hand down the neck, you know, just a little perfect stance on stage. There you the go. Guitar. I love it. There you one go. The so Sox fans going out there, they could see a little uke on the guitar. And he's one of the first people who tied together for me that whole how much relationship between, you know, playing music and, and making records and baseball. They're both games of failure. You're successful if you hit 30% of the time. You're successful if you have three hits from a record. You know? That's a great point. That's such a great point. All right. Lenny, any final last words here? Come on, wrap it up for us. Go watch the Chicago show. Mavis Staples is playing from the Staples Singers, an absolute icon. I know Juliana Hatfield's playing. And the drummer for the Blake Babies, a Boston band, Frida Love Smith. This is going to be her last show. She's retiring after the show. So if you ever want to see Juliana and Frida play the Blake Babies, you want to go out there and catch this show. And it's all for a great cause. Gonna be awesome. Afternoon game at Wrigley. Get over there that night. Uh, that's a perfect doubleheader. Will, thanks so much for dropping by. Lenny, get back to work. We got a show coming up. <laughs> Thank you, guys. A lot of fun again. The Hut Stove Cool Music coming up Friday after the day game. So a lot of Red Sox fans gonna be out in Chicago. If you're out in that way, go check it out. Uh, thank the uh, rock star Will Daly for joining us. Uh, check out his music. He is phenomenal. Uh, and always great to have Lenny with us talking music and baseball. And a lot of fun to chat with uh, Ellis Burks. We thank Tyler Baronski as well. And we thank you for listening to this edition of the TC and Company podcast. We'll see you again next week.